You're listening to The One Relationship, where we believe a strong marriage is the foundation for successful families, communities, and cultures. I'm Kate. And I'm Tanner. We're your hosts, and we've each had our share of unhealthy relationships. When we met, we committed to not repeat the mistakes of our past, so we set out to learn everything we could about creating a rock-solid marriage. Join us every week as we bring you real talk from our experiences, other married couples, and relationship professionals we trust. To start strengthening your marriage now, head over to theonerelationship.com and get access to our free marriage manifesto today. Welcome to The One Relationship. My name is Kate Wendell, and I am here with guest Aubrey Hargis. And I am super excited to chat with Aubrey uh, to learn more about Montessori. I was three years old and I was living in a rural Texas town. So kind of, we had, you know, access to things, but still kind of far away. It was about an hour and a half north of Dallas. And my parents' friends got together with my mom and said, Hey, there's this little Montessori kind of co-op preschool thing. And we were wondering if you'd like to come and join us and we could carpool the kids and send them just a few days a week. It was just a little three day a week, half day afternoon program. So nothing very intense or anything. And my parents said, yes, it was very affordable. And they started to send me and that group of kids and those parents became lifelong friends for our family, you know, those are the kids that I grew up with. Many of them became Montessorians themselves, kind of following in the footsteps of the beginning of our origins. And, and so it was just this really family situation at first, where it was just a friend based, very low key experience. But the thing is those parents who had gathered to send their children to this little tiny school decided that they were so inspired by Montessori Maria, really Maria Montessori herself and her philosophy of education, that they wanted to get certified themselves and start teaching in a Montessori school. And so since, you know, the, the opportunities in this little town were kind of limited at the time, you know, there weren't just a ton of places to go and get a job. You had to create your own school. And so that is what they did. They together went, got certified together and started learning about Montessori education. And meanwhile, the group of kids that I had just started going to school with, and I continued in our little Montessori journey with these very at home type teachers, mostly you know, the schools that we were at were just like single classrooms. It was multi-age. It was very home-like. And so my first experience with Montessori was, oh, this is a family. This is a group of people that you can count on who love you and nurture you no matter what personality you have or what interest you have. They've got your back. And so it, it really set the stage for my love of it. And then watching my parent my mother and her friends go through this transformation themselves, understanding child development more deeply, because a lot about Montessori is understanding the child's behaviors so that we can learn how better to reach them and teach them as adults, which I think sometimes is missing in some traditional education circles, you know, not 
everybody pays as much attention to the stages of development when yeah. they're thinking about creating curriculum. But in Montessori, that is kind of the crux of the curriculum is the developmental stages of the child. So my mom would come home from her program and practice lessons on me. And <laughs> I would get to play the part of the, the student and then the teacher. And I would, I would donate things to the new school that was being created. So all of my little tiny dollhouse items, they became little sound box items for the kids to play with. And so I was very much involved in donating the things from our house you know, and my old playthings to become part of the school environment. Mm -hmm. And they allowed me at that time, I was nine years old, I had gone through Montessori preschool and a little tiny Montessori elementary program mm -hmm. uh, with the same friends. <laughs> Every day after school, we go over, it was right across the street from one of my friend's houses, and we just hang out there. And uh, then we would go and visit our moms at their school that they were creating as the preschool. Right. And we would help rip up the carpet and, you know, they would give us hammers and, you know, give us real things to do, you know, as elementary kids. So we felt like we were being really helpful. Right. And then all on all of our weekends, they would have big family school picnics as the school took off and we would always go and attend and like be the I don't know, almost like the babysitters at the playground, you know, as older <laughs> yeah. kids, you know, protecting the little ones. And on all of my days off at public school, because I eventually transitioned, there was no more Montessori for me after third grade. It just didn't exist in my town. And I transitioned into public school, but I still wanted to go and spend time at my mom's school in her classroom as much as I could. So yeah. if I had a free day off, I didn't want to stay at home. I wanted to go to school with her. And she would give me little jobs teaching the these little groups of children, or she would teach me how to give a lesson. And I would just sit there and she'd just give me one child after another to practice giving lessons to. So when I graduated from high school, I knew that Montessori was something I wanted to continue the legacy of right. in my own career, but I didn't want to focus on private school education. I wanted to more broadly see what impact I could make on the field of education by changing the system. You know, I was filled with that fiery passion that many of us experienced when we're in our early twenties, I'm going to change the world. And, you know, these are all the things that are wrong with the system and I'm going to rock the boats. And so I went out into the public school system intending to bring Montessori. And so I started teaching little workshops about Montessori to the teachers around me. And I had some principles that really worked with me in my classroom and allowed me to just shut the door and do what I wanted in the classroom and, and teach Montessori. And so I have a lot of experience in the Montessori in Montessori with not, you know, because my background is not, I went out and I got my certification in Montessori and became a Montessori teacher. My background is I wanted to understand Montessori deeply and then apply it to different situations and experiment mm. with it and be creative with it. And so I really, when I look back, I see how this do-it-yourself creative approach led me right into homeschooling my own right. children because right. it was always like challenging the system and I want to do things differently. <laughs> and so when I had children of my own, I kind of assumed that I would end up just teaching in a, a Montessori school forever after that and that they would just go to that Montessori school you know, as long as they could. But, but after I had my little ones, I went back and I taught at a Montessori school for just a little while. And then I decided, you know, it's just, this is, we're just going to take this different journey and see where we end up. So my mom, that's my personal background in Montessori. And where that has led me today is 
when my children were, I don't know, maybe four and six years old, I started reaching out to the online community and blogging about Montessori and just trying to share my knowledge with the online community because I still wanted to be teaching. You know, once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. So today I get to teach parents all over the world about the Montessori method. And of course, now I have Montessori certifications (laughs) of my own, you know, to, to use that knowledge as well. And I love it. It's fun. Yeah. So And that's the beauty of online now, right? As opposed to a very specific school that you have to go to. And it's really only for the people who can access that school. So there's beauty in the online world that's really applying for so many people now as as far as work and business goes. And of course, things like education and, and sharing these principles with other parents. So I love this. And I love this story of how this really just became a part of who you are and your family. Like you said, it's about family. So, so what are some of the basic principles because we were talking about child development. So help, help the audience understand, like, what is it that Montessori principles are looking at as far as development and then how that applies to teaching the child? Sure. Well, the first thing I think to know about Montessori is that we have the belief and it is backed by neuroscience. You know, she, Maria Montessori lived, you know, a long time ago. She was born in 1870 to give you a frame of reference. Her first school was in 1907 was when Mm -hmm. she created her first school. So it's been around for a while, but I believe that it's still a pretty progressive way of teaching Mm -hmm. because inherently in the philosophy is this belief that the child has a certain potential to fulfill in life. And that as teachers or guides or facilitators, as we kind of call ourselves in the Montessori community, it's not our job to necessarily micromanage the child and to form them into the human beings that we believe that they should end up being, or the, you know, filling them with the knowledge that we think the knowledge, you know, the knowledge base that they should have as adults. It's more about, we want to help them fulfill their own potential. So we believe that every child is born with this, this immense potential that is also a mystery to us. It's a secret that's inside the child's heart and soul. And I, I kid you not, this is a core part of the Montessori philosophy, this whole mystical love of the what sparks the imagination of this mystery of childhood, you know, the fact that children are learning in this way and with reasons that we as adults cannot possibly understand. And therefore it is our job to trust them. And when they express an interest in something, it's our job to follow that child, to allow them to dive deeper into whatever it is they seem to really be driven towards doing. And so this can be applied differently at the different developmental stages. Mm-hmm. So for example, in toddlerhood with a very little toddler, you might see that kind of interest form, not in subject matter, like I'm interested in animals, but more like I'm interested in hammering this peg over and over and <laughs> right. over and over and over. And that tells the, the Montessori inspired person Ooh, something is going on here. This child just wants to hammer. What is going on here? And so as guides, it's our job just to think about that, to first admire and observe it. Ooh, my child's repeating this activity. Wow, this means that there must be some kind of really intense desire for that child to do 
that particular thing, whether it annoys us or not, something right. is in the child <laughs> telling them to hammer. Right. And so as Montessorians, we can say, okay, let's think about why that might be. Is the child refining their gross motor skills? You know, are they trying to develop the muscles that are in their hands? Or, you know, if maybe they are sometimes children engage in sequencing activities at that age too. So you can imagine a small child, maybe a three or a four-year-old uh, taking a whole bunch of objects and lining them up in a little mm. row, maybe from biggest to smallest. Oh, my or, three-year-old you know, does or, that. Yep. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I think in traditional parenting, we would just say, oh, it's an activity and kind of leave it at that. But in Montessori, we say, wow, what is this child doing? What does this mean to this child? And maybe we just acknowledge the fact that we don't need to know why why this child has this obsessive need to order these things. We can just accept this child is expressing this need to order. And we, we value that. Yeah. Is there something as far as examples of what that could mean by, well, I mean, sure. you said that about yeah. hammering, but what would it mean or a possible meaning that, you know, your toddler wants to line things up? Yes. So in Montessori, we also have a concept called sensitive periods. It's one of my favorite parts of the method. So the story goes a long time ago, Maria Montessori was, you know, she was not just a teacher. She was a scientist. She was a medical doctor. She was one of the, she was the very first medical doctor in Rome during her time. So she was kind of a glass ceiling breaker of her own time yeah. period. And it was, so it was very different to have this woman doctor scientist during her era. And so she studied children scientifically and she was obsessed with documenting them. So she measured them in all sorts of ways. She, she measured their height. She measured their weight. She would observe them for these little signs of repetition and wonder what they meant. And so that's part of why it became part of her method, but she was also just generally a brilliant genius of a person. And she was just fascinated in human nature in general and wanted to learn more about the developmental stages just across the board. And she came across this study where a scientist, a, I, I believe a biologist was studying caterpillars. And he had found that there is this specific kind of caterpillar whose butterfly would lay the eggs in the crook of a branch of a tree, like not up on the tippy tops of the leaves and not on the trunk and not at the base, but at a crook of the branch. And that is to protect the eggs as they were developing. And as soon as those teeny tiny little caterpillars were born, they started to crawl out. And, you know, if nothing else had happened at that point, there would be nothing to tell the caterpillars where their food was. But these caterpillars were born with the sensitivity to light. And the scientists found that if you were to shine a little light, you know, on one side of a dark room, the little caterpillars would crawl towards that light and they would crawl and crawl up the branch where that sun was shining and then eat those tender little leaves at the very tip because the leaves along the way on the branch were too tough for them. Uh -huh. But as soon as they reached the tippy top of the branches and started to feast on those little leaves, the sensitivity disappeared and they were no longer sensitive to light. And Maria Montessori thought to herself, I wonder if this could be the same thing with children. So she started to observe the children to find out if there were sensitivities in their development. And through her observation and research, and again, we can confirm a lot of this with modern brain research, she found that children were sensitive to certain types of be behavioral activities 
at different stages of their development. And one of these sensitivities was the sensitivity to order. And this begins around age six months. So a little baby, you know, your first babies are just looking at your faces and you know, they're just trying to get used to the cycling of the, you know, the day and night and to get their rhythm down and to maybe get their feeding schedules going. But pretty soon, as, as soon as they reach around six months of age, they are more likely to be crawling or moving in some way, scooching or whatever. Yeah. And they're exploring their world. And you'll notice that when you put your cup in a certain place, like the baby will, scientists have proven babies will remember where that cup was. Right. They will look for it. And if you were to come back in the room after taking your cup away, they would look to the place where you would put your cup the last time. Huh. And so Maria Montessori noticed a lot of these things in children. She would notice that a lot of times children tantrum, not because of some, you know, miscellaneous, we don't know why my kid is crying reason, but actually because their sensitivity to order had been disturbed. Maybe mm. mom's shawl was on the wrong shoulder, or maybe the shoes were put on top of the bed rather than in the, the shoe place where you're supposed to put your dirty shoes. Right. And the children would actually become upset when their sensitivity to order was disturbed. And then she started noting the, the sensitivity for order, it, it lasts a pretty long time, several years, children have the sensitivity to order. And you'll notice very little children are likely to become interested in where things go. I, you know, whether their room is messy or not, I always tell parents, you know, if your room is messy, your children are going to learn wherever that <laughs> wherever the blocks usually end up is going to be their home, right? right. Like they'll, they'll be likely to leave it there in that same spot. Right. But if you make a point of always putting something in the same place, your children are more likely to know that's the place at least where it, that thing belongs. Right, now, right. older children, by the time they get to the elementary years, ages six and up, they have lost that sensitivity to order. And that's why you see a lot of elementary kids kind of doing bigger, messy work. And they stop really caring so much about the order of things. Yeah. You know, we get, we have that stereotypical image of the, the sloppy <laughs> seven-year-old plopping oh, in with their muddy shoes. Oh yeah. We have a right? 10-year-old too. And yeah. Yes. Stuff's <laughs> yes. Everywhere. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so that would be an example of a sensitivity to order. And so that's, that would be what a Montessorian might, might and look then, at and when then, they're seeing that child ordering those things. They would say they're tuning into that sensitivity, but there are other sensitivities too. You know, there's, there's sensitivity to, to language, different language processes that are going on and just mm -hmm. a variety of different things. Just a follow-up to the order or any other of the sensitivities. Does it mean that like, it's going to be, it's some kind of, that it could be, it could lead to some kind of problem. Like my first thought, at least when it comes to order you think of maybe someone, and I, unfortunately, as a, a family friend, her granddaughter has very severe OCD and she's had this from a very young age and now she's, you know, she's getting out of college, but, but so I kind of wonder, like, is it something that leads to any kind of, you know, for a lack of a better word, quote unquote, issue problem, or is it really just about how they're learning things and developing their brain? Yeah, that's a really good question. Actually, Montessori herself has a background, had a background in special needs, working with special needs children. And that's mm -hmm. the, kind of the origin of whether her, where her method came from in the first place. So in the Montessori community, we are very open to neurodiversity, but we, you know, and there are definitely children who fall outside of the range of normal. And the Montessori 
I think the Montessori parent or guide would be respecting that need of the child, regardless of whether it's going to turn into mm. an obsession or not. Yeah. You know, usually the child, you know, most children go through kind of a sensitivity to order. And then as they exit that, if you have an elementary child who's still obsessed with order in a way that prevents them from enjoying their life in some way, you know, then you would go down that route. But honestly, even looking at my own children, I can tell you as, and I have a, an 11 year old and a 14 year old, I can tell you that there are definitely signs when they were little, that they were leaning one way or another, you know, that that I could tell that they were, I I didn't know at the time that they were going to develop a serious interest in one thing or to have a particular temperament or behavior that was going to manifest in another way. But now that I you know, now that I've parented them for so long, I could definitely look back and say, Ooh, like this, this was super strong when they were young. Aha. You know, my, my first born was always shy, you know, and that wasn't just a phase. So I think as parents, you know, it's important to recognize when our children are struggling and when they might need help with something that does fall out of the range of normal. Unfortunately, there are so many people out there who can guide us in those ways. You know, I think that parents, should listen to their instincts. You know, if they have a gut feeling that something is a little outside of the norm or that something could use a little more attention or that the child could need a little more help in one particular area, I think that there are great resources out there. One of my favorite websites is understood.com. I love that. I love it. Love it. It's so helpful. And it, it helps to explain a lot of different child behaviors that are a little neurodiverse and really helpful, healthy ways, I think for parents. So I would recommend that as a resource too, but Montessorians in general, in general, we're very accepting of children who have a range of personalities, but just when it comes to the Montessori philosophy, we're just, we would just kind of be looking and noting, okay, wow, sensitivity for order. But here's something that I think trips up a lot of modern parents who live in an online world where there is just so much information out there for them. You know, there's like so many activities. There's so, oh gosh. I mean, there's just so much fear mongering, honestly, Mm. for parents worrying them about this or that they're not enough of this or that they can't do this properly or that there's something wrong with their child if their child doesn't do this exactly the way, you know? And so I think there is this inclination for a lot of modern parents just to want to glom onto the sensitive periods. And instead of kind of taking it as, okay, this is Montessori philosophy and just something to find interesting about child development and keep in mind, they want to say, okay, I want to nail down what is the sensitive period for order? And now what do I need to do for my child to make sure that I'm nurturing that? And the Montessori answer is generally, you might not need to do anything Anything, for your child. Like they might be just satisfying that sensitivity for order on their own, you know, and meeting those needs. And what you might need to do is just chill and just relax. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you're saying these things because (laughs) there are so many parents and even, you know, friends of ours where we see that sort of the helicopter parent, you know, and they're just kind of hovering over their child overreacting to things. And like you mentioned, this fear-based, and I, you know, my husband and I, we've, we've talked about this a bit because both of our parents to some degree, not in a a very large way, I know it could be more significant, but we both had to some degree fear-based parenting, right? I mean, Mm. it's sort of this old school way of parenting, you know, you don't do this or else, you know, and it's just, or these exaggerated 
outcomes that like would never be, you know, you're not going to play football, you'll break your neck. Well, I mean, the odds of you breaking your neck are probably really slim. Like that's sure, you know, it's football, you might have an injury, but like, you're not going to break your neck, you know, you know, it's just little things like that, that we have been really mindful of and how we parent to make sure that we're not creating these exaggerated statements and not helicopter over them, allow them to figure out the things that they like. And now we have uh, a three-year-old and, and a, a one-year-old, one and a half-year-old. And the one and a half is, a, he's a boy and he loves balls. And he now is learning how to kick the ball and he throws the ball. Now, granted, we're working on making sure he's not throwing it on the counter and breaking glass, which is a little bit of a challenge or <laughs> not throwing the ball in the street and, you know, and all those kinds of things. But, but like, we're like, this is so amazing. Like we, we don't want to, we don't want to pull him back and reserve him from wanting to, to just explore what you could do with a ball because I don't know. I mean, his parents are not really the great athletes out there, but <laughs> be, you know, like who knows where that would lead. Right. So, so I think it's just a really important message to tell parents, like they are their own individual person. God has a purpose for them. Like they are designed for a specific thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, the parents wishes. And I'm certainly a black sheep of the family in some ways. And, and to just, you know, allow as parents for your child to grow the way they're supposed to be. I wanted to touch on a little bit with, uh, just because so many parents now are dealing with their kids home from school and remote learning is still going on. Yes. You know, we're starting to see, you know, schools open up and of course, you know, we're going into summer months now. And, and so there's, there is a bit of a break, but you know, we'll see what happens in September and how many schools are going to continue in person, hybrid, all at home, like what that looks like. So What's your advice for helping the parent just manage your children? You know, let's just say toddlers in elementary school, like this is sort of the audience we have right now. Like, like how do they handle it? Especially if they're working from home too. Sure. Working from home and homeschooling is not easy. I'll start with that. Right. But I want, I would want parents to know, to, to have the perspective that when they're little teeny tiny babies were born or if, when they adopted their time, if they adopted a tiny baby, yeah. like whenever you got your child, right. <laughs> you started to educate them right away. And you probably had no clue what you were doing at all. <laughs> like you probably had, that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you, you probably flubbed so much and made mistakes and second guessed yourself, but that is where your poor journey, first child, right. You know, like right? They're, like the, they're like the experiment. Yes. <laughs> especially, but you know, I think that homeschooling is like that. I think parents forget when, you know, I never sent my child off to school, you know, so I never personally had that experience. I decided to homeschool when my child stopped going to Montessori school with me, which was age three. But I think that a lot of parents that I work with today, especially they kind of have forgotten that they were already teaching their children when they were first born, when they were babies. That is what you do. You learn how to educate your child. You learn how to model for them. And then all of a sudden, we're, we as a society are expected to send our children to school. And many, most of us do. <laughs> right. And 
and there's something I, you know, and I, I love school and I will always be an advocate for teachers. You know, that's something mm-hmm. I can never be the kind of homeschooler who's like, everybody should homeschool because I think there's nothing that is just right for everybody. And, and I commend oh the, the moms who homeschool. We, we've talked about it too. And, I, and we've yeah. come to the realization that we, we should really let the people who are trained to do this and the experts to do this like we're not those people. <laughs> like right. we'll set, we'll set, we'll find a good school for our children, right? But yeah, so it's not for everyone, but I certainly do no. commend all the, the parents who do it. Yeah, and it, it's a lifestyle choice. You know, mm-hmm. homeschooling full-time is something that you have to really want to do and you have to be willing to work at. But what I do tell parents who are just coming into this journey, who are feeling insecure about it, is that, you know, all along you have been parenting your child and that parenting is really teaching. And so really when your children are older, you are just parenting them in a different way with different subjects. Mm-hmm. So you have parented them to learn how to behave appropriately in certain social situations. You have parented them to know how to participate in your family life and to have learned about all of these other things that you're doing you know, naturally when your children are not at school, you're always teaching them something. They're learning Mm -hmm. something from you just by watching you. And so when you're homeschooling, you are literally just continuing that parenting journey and you Mm -hmm. don't have to become a, a trained person in the field of education. You know, you know, who does people who love the art of teaching people who love curriculum. Like I have a master's in curriculum and instruction because I love education and I wanted to learn everything about it. And I wanted to teach in schools, but being a homeschooler, having those degrees in education didn't actually teach me how to be a better homeschooler. What taught me to be a better homeschooler and educating my children was witnessing what other homeschoolers are doing and learning to have trust in my children in our partnership as we kind of walk through life together and learn about the world. And just the experience of doing it is really Mm -hmm. what taught me to homeschool. And so I do believe that is something that anyone can do if they want to, if they choose to take on homeschooling in any capacity, part-time or full-time or whatever, and think of themselves in that way. It is possible because as a parent, you already have the skills that you need. Now, what you don't probably have is the knowledge in all of the subject matters that these certified teachers that are specialized in at schools. Okay. So the question is then what do we do about that? If as homeschoolers, we cannot just like go back and get a biology degree and and a math degree. Like I personally, I am not a mathematician in any sense of the world. I, I completed pre-cal in high school. And I took one year of elementary math in college. And then that was it for me, you know? So the question is, what do we then do? How do we then have the confidence that we can teach our children? And one of the answers to that is the paradigm of education and how we see ourselves as educators or how we see teaching in general has to shift. We have to see ourselves as being on this learning journey with children and being willing to be their guide rather than to be their teacher. So there are a lot of things that I have done as my children's educator. I find when I find that I need somebody to teach them specific, a specific type of subject matter, I find resources that we can either learn from together. For example, Khan Academy, great example of a free resource that homeschoolers can use to have somebody else teach subject matter to you and your child as you work through it, or just to your self-motivated child if your child is independent and their learner. 
or you outsource, you find, you know, you take, have your child take a class in algebra. And there are many teachers who are teaching online. It doesn't have to be a full-time thing. My son right now, he's been taking, he's been taking a, a math, math tutoring sessions with a fantastic math teacher, but I didn't really start that until I, he had kind of outgrown what I could do in that partnership way together. And then I decided, okay, these high school years are going to be years where in this particular subject matter, he needs somebody who is an expert in that field. And I will source that person. I will figure out how we can afford it, or I will find these online resources and help, help him guide himself through them. Yeah. Now, grammar and literature, Hey, yeah. I've got grammar. You know, I, I <laughs> love English. My husband was an English literature major and a history major. So we're good with English and history. Like that's something that we're great in. So we can fill that gap, but what we're looking to supplement is skills that my children are interested in other subject areas that we're not necessarily experts in. So you don't have to be an expert in every single subject in order to homeschool. Most homeschoolers utilize a variety of resources and each other. Sometimes homeschoolers, at least before the pandemic, we all had co-ops going right, as well. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so which, yeah. Most, and again, yeah, depending on where you are, yeah. some of them are opening up, which is nice. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we could talk forever on all these things. Like, and especially as I, I look at your website, childoftheredwoods.com for a resource, it'll be in the show notes. You have all these great little tips for things for how to just interact with your child. So you've got the four Montessori lessons to do outside, which I thought was really great. And I'm like, oh, this is like, perfect for toddlers and, you know, and then certainly as they can grow older. And then you also have a sensory lesson too, where I can see with my hands. And I thought that was fun too, where you can blindfold the, the child and then just, you know, touch and feel and see what things are. And I'm like, God, why didn't I even think of that? It's just like (laughs) such a cool thing to do. And I think my three-year-old would love that. Actually, I'm sure my even 10-year-old would love that, you know, so to just feel like they're exploring with different things and playing a game and, you know, and just having fun. So it's your website is just full of resources. I love that, you know, just sort of to, to wrap and to help parents overall, like what, what's like the one thing that you could leave them with as a parent? you know, through these tough times right now, maybe feeling like, you know, they're maybe even drowning, you know, but how can they just feel like, okay, I got this mom. And here's how I'm going to help my child through it as well. What would be some of the advice that you would leave our audience with? I think I would leave your audience with patience. You know, that's a quintessential Montessori key component is that trust in following the child. And I think, we can, it's easy to say, oh, we should trust the child to learn. And we can acknowledge that the child has these special abilities to teach themselves or to be interested, at least in, in things that they will help them nurture or be nurtured and, and to grow into the people that they're supposed to be. But as parents, it's also essential that we take care of ourselves and we have mm-hmm. patience for ourselves too. And to just know that this, I have not yet met one single homeschooler that did not have some anxiety and imposter syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so, you know, that that patience extends not just to trusting that our children are going to be okay, because really like, 
you know, each, when the children are in school, it's almost like each grade level is preparing the child for the next grade level. And if they miss this, they're not going to be ready for the next grade level. And, and I think with homeschooling, it's an opportunity to step back and look at the whole child and say, you know what, this is a human being I am raising. And if they don't get how to do this particular concept right now, they have so much time, you know, mm -hmm. children have time to grow and develop and they deserve us to give them that time to grow and develop. Yeah. And we, as parents, we also deserve to give ourselves time to grow and develop into maybe the, the people that we were meant to be as well later on in our lives. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Patient patience. And there's also a whole section on how Montessori for children, but it's not just for children, it's for adults too. And Absolutely. how you can change, you know, as, a, as an adult, which I think is very profound, right? Because I do recognize that if I had my children later in life over 40, and I think if I had my if I had my children, you know, when I was 30, I would have parented so differently than the way I parent now. And so, yep. you know, just the growth in that in itself. And so, you know, something like Montessori and the principles there of really nurturing the child can also nurture you as an adult too, yeah. I think is, is awesome. <laughs> this has been wonderful, Aubrey. Thank you so much for being a part of the one relationship and sharing. I, your storytelling is so great. I feel like I'm the little kid just like <laughs> sitting there like, oh, what's the next part of the story? Yes, you have teacher just, you know, all through you and uh, teacher and mom. And, and it's been beautiful to talk with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for spreading Montessori around to more people. I think it has so much to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And the website again is childoftheredwoods.com. I'll make sure to link that up in the show notes as well. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The One Relationship. Be sure to subscribe right now. And we'd love it if you could do us a quick favor too. Please rate and review this podcast. This will help others who want to strengthen their marriage discover our content. To get our free marriage manifesto today, head over to theonerelationship.com. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Just hit the contact us button and send us your questions and feedback. Join us next time for more Real Talk on The One Relationship.